Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Push-ups. That was her answer. Push-ups. I was in a Bible study and uh, we were going through the book of Philippians and we got to Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The ESV, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I just mentioned to the group, I said, uh, how have you heard this applied? And this one young lady spoke up and she said, push-ups. She said, whenever I was on a volleyball team, when we would be training and we would do push-ups, that's the verse that we used. I said, how'd you use it? She said, for each word that we said, we would either go up or down in the cycle of push-ups. We would, we would just do push-ups to the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I said, I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote it. And we've been studying over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this new series we've been doing called More Than a Bumper Sticker. And we're looking at how verses go beyond the bumper sticker mentality or the bumper sticker meaning or understanding that sometimes we normally have. And how some of these verses have not only a deeper meaning, but in some cases a completely different meaning than what we might anticipate. And I'm just going to go ahead and give you a little spoiler alert. Philippians 4.13 is not about push-ups. Philippians 4.13 doesn't have anything to do with your sports team. Sorry, but it, but it doesn't. Philippians 4.13 is not a promise that says you're going to win the Boston Marathon. It's not a promise that says you'll win the Tour de France. It's not a promise that says you will make it to the summit of Everest. Because Philippians 4.13 is not about running faster or pedaling harder or climbing higher. That's not what it's about. It's not about success in business. It's not that your portfolio is going to look incredibly great if you will just trust Philippians 4.13. It also does not mean that if Philippians 4.13 is brought up at the halftime pep talk, that your team is going to win the state championship because they're going to rally behind some sort of biblical truth. It's not what it means. So what does it mean? Well, glad you asked. Remember, we've been working through this series, but we've been going through it with a few rules in mind. And the four rules that we have spoken about, and mind you, there are other rules of biblical interpretation, but therefore the four major rules we've been talking about are these. First of all, context, context, context. You always go back to the context of what the verse, what the passage, what the chapter in the Bible, what it refers to in the context of the time that it was written, and the people to whom it was written. So we have to remember context. Secondly, Scripture interprets Scripture, and Scripture never contradicts Scripture. If you don't understand what one passage means, you go somewhere else, and you look at other places to get a clearer understanding of what it means. Thirdly, the text can never mean what it never meant. There is one meaning of the text. There are multiple applications. And then finally, we talked about always leveling up. That is, we are to consider God's work in individuals, his church, in groups of people, as well as his ultimate plan throughout all history. So you have to look at those whenever you're applying truth. And whenever you're reading scripture, you go through and you look at these rules and you make sure that what you are interpreting matches up with these. And we mentioned this last week. Sometimes people say, 
That's an awful lot of trouble to go through to interpret Scripture. It is less trouble, though, to go through it in this way carefully, in an understanding way, in a very ordered and systematic way. It is, it is much more easy to go through it that way than to try to deal with theological error if you approach Scripture in the wrong way. So if Paul's not talking about push-ups, and Paul's not talking about my business plan for the next five years, and Paul's not talking about winning the state championship, what is Paul talking about? Well, it's helpful to know if we look at the context that the church at Philippi, if you go all the way back to Acts chapter 16, and we're not going to go there, but you can just make a note and read it later. In Acts chapter 16, you find the founding of the church there in Philippi. Paul has a vision, and a man from Macedonia, that's the area uh, around Greece, Greece, modern-day Greece and the surrounding area, he has a vision where a man from Macedonia says, we need you to come over here, come and help us. And so Paul makes a journey to Macedonia, they land in Philippi, they meet some people worshiping down by the river, and so you find that's the beginning of the church there at Philippi. And so now, this is some time later, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi has sent one of their messengers, a man named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus has shown up with a monetary gift for Paul from the church at Philippi. And so Paul, it's helpful to know, is under house arrest. Paul is imprisoned right now. Now he could entertain guests, and, and he, but he had to raise his own funds. And so he is probably shackled uh, with or close to a Roman guard night and day. Paul believes, if you read the rest of the book of Philippians, Paul believes that he is facing his imminent death of execution. So you have, that's the context in which we find a fee, or, uh, in which we find Philippians, excuse me, Philippians chapter four. So in Philippians four, let's just pick up with verse ten. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you. We come before you. We come before your word this morning. We pray that you might speak to us. We pray that you might give us understanding. We pray you might give us wisdom. We pray that you might apply this truth in our lives in such a way that we would never be the same, that you would transform us and make us into the likeness of your son. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the key point that we're looking at today is verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if we're going to talk about the strength that comes from Christ, we need to know what does it actually mean in this context? Well, the first is this. The strength found in Christ is based on conviction, not circumstance. It's based upon conviction, not circumstance. Paul is a prisoner right now. Paul is facing death right now. And so Paul, in this circumstance, 
It looks bleak. It looks very negative. It is a, it's a very difficult situation he is in. But yet Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because it's not based upon his circumstance. This is what he says over in verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Paul says, no matter the circumstance, positive or negative, I'm basing this upon conviction, something I know to be true. So Paul is saying it's not based upon what's happening to me. It's based upon the one I know. How many times have we gotten in situations, circumstances, difficult times and we look at the circumstance and the circumstance becomes that which defines us i'm facing this hard time and it's defining me i'm facing this struggle and it's defining me i'm not saying that it doesn't change us that it doesn't shape us it does but i'm saying that does not become the defining characteristics of your life Your identity is wrapped up, if you're a Christian, your identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is, not what you're going through. And you find that Paul is making this clear. He's saying, yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, this is a difficult situation. Yeah, it's negative. But I'm not defined by the circumstance. I may be informed by the circumstance, but I'm not defined by the circumstance. Because what is informing Paul is his conviction. What he knows to be true. And what he knows to be true is a who who is truth itself. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And Paul understands this. And so Paul is saying, I am trusting in the strength that is found in Christ. I'm not looking at my circumstance. So many times we look at our circumstances and we enter into this despair. Paul is saying, you don't have to despair over your circumstances. Be informed by them, yes, but you don't have to despair over them. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, rejoice always. I don't know about you, but that's kind of hard, isn't it? We say rejoice when the circumstances are good. Rejoice when things are going well. Rejoice when we're on an uphill path. No, he says rejoice always. If you read through the book of Philippians, you'll be shocked at how many times Paul talks about rejoicing and joy, even while he's under these negative circumstances. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's always something to be thankful for. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's not the usual default mode for most of us. We don't say, I'm in a difficult time. I'm I'm having a hard situation that's emerging. These consequences or these circumstances are just crushing. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to find something for which I can give thanks. We don't normally do that. But notice Paul adds that little phrase at the end of this passage. This is the will of God. It's the will of God. If you say, if somebody comes and says, I just wish I knew the will of God. Well, the Bible's clear about this. Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's the will of God for my life. That is part of the will of God for our life, to give thanks in all circumstances. And we give that thanks based upon their convictions, not the circumstance itself. 
over in Psalm 34, verse 10. The psalmist writes, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That means even in the middle of a negative circumstance, even in the middle of a really bad situation, God is still going to provide for his own that which they need. And sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that because we understand that which we want. God says, but you're not going to be lacking any good thing. The good things that I'm giving to you, you're going to have plenty of them. You're going to have exactly what you need. You're not going to lack any good thing. Now, there are a lot of things on our want list that God is not obligated to provide and give. But there are things where God says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. And this is the conviction that we live by. Philippians 1.21. This is back in the book of Philippians. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, upon reflecting upon the reality that he's probably facing his own death, he says, well, if I live, well, that's, that's Christ. If I live, I get to live for Jesus. If I don't get put to death, then I get to live for Christ even more and I get to make him known. But then if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. And that's a gain. That's a plus. So if I live, I'll be living for Jesus. If I die, I get to go meet Jesus. He understands that there is this conviction that is overriding his circumstance. Let me ask, do do your convictions about who Jesus is and your identity in him, do they tend to override your circumstances or do your circumstances tend to override your identity in Christ? Because if we're going to know the strength found in Christ, we have to understand first our identity in Christ. We have to understand what God is calling us to. God always, being the king of the universe, God always calls us to king-size missions. He always calls us to do something that is king-sized. And when he calls us to a king-sized mission, that means along with that comes king-sized responsibilities but the only way that we are going to accomplish a king-sized responsibility is with king-sized power that comes from God alone so it's all about God it's not that God says I'm giving you this mission it's a very difficult mission it's a very hard mission it's going to be a very sacrificial mission good luck you're on your own he doesn't do that no God walks with us and provides us with everything that we need and the empowerment that we need in order to accomplish his work. Paul understands that. So Paul can say, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. I'm just going to live for Christ no matter what. And Paul understands if this walk with Christ ultimately ends in him giving his life for the gospel, then so be it. God is going to use that in a way that is a greater way. Now, we don't like that because we like to think, whoa, no, 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 no. The stuff that comes from God is only going to be positive here temporally for me. That's not what we find in the Bible. God's ways aren't our ways, which brings us to the next point. The strength found in Christ is required for contentment in all situations. It's required for contentment in all situations. Look back at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
Paul, whenever he is addressing the church at Philippi and thanking them for the financial gift that they have given, it's almost like that thanks is an afterthought. Paul says, thank you for the gift, but I'm not really after the gift. He says a little bit later on, I'm after the fruit that abounds to your account. But he says, and I'm not even speaking in a matter of need because God's going to provide for me and take care of me regardless. And then he says, I've learned whatever situation I'm in, I'm content. I'm just content. I'm okay with what I have, with what God provides for me. And notice he says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul understands the truth that contentment doesn't come from a situation. Contentment comes from his connection with Christ himself, which brings us back to that same point. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That strength of Christ that we understand that Philippians 4.13 is speaking about, it's required for our contentment in all situations. We are never going to be content regardless of the situation without the strength that is found in Christ. This is that godliness that Paul writes to Timothy about. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Paul is saying godliness and contentment together, that's great gain. Why does he say godliness with contentment? Because any other kind of contentment doesn't last. If we're running after contentment in anything else that is temporal, that is passing, it won't last. But godliness with contentment, living for Christ with contentment, he says, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But notice he says, this strength that is found in Christ, he knows how to be content in every circumstance whether it's plenty or hunger, whether it's abundance or need. Well, doesn't that seem odd? Have you ever considered this? Paul is saying he needs strength whenever, Christ's strength, whenever he is given abundance. When he has plenty, he says, I need Christ's strength just as much in this circumstance or this situation as I do when I'm in hunger. Now, so many times we don't think about that. We think about when things are plentiful, we don't need Jesus that much. No, not according to Paul. According to Paul, we need the strength of Christ in order to be content in that situation. We need the strength of Christ whenever we have plenty. I was talking to a guy one time, and he was talking to me about his business. And he said, well, you know, he said, uh, I've been going through a really, really difficult time. And I said, oh, he said, with my business. I said, oh, what's going on? He said, oh, we're doing great. We're doing great financially. He said, we're having to open multiple branches and we're having to, we're having to do all this stuff and, and, and we just had such an incredible success. I said, well, that sounds good. He says, yeah, but then we got to train people and I've got leaders who aren't willing to grow with the organization and it's just been utter and complete chaos. It's been, this, this has been such chaos. It was easier when we were just small. And I said, but you don't want to go back to like being a small thing, do you? He said, (laughs) that was his response. He didn't know. 
Because with that success came a whole new set of responsibilities and a whole new set of problems that he had never entertained. Oh, to be certain, it was what he was working for. It was what he hoped for. And then when he got it, he realized there's a lot more to this. Well, the same happens in our lives. We pray for something, we pray for something, we pray for something, and God gives it, and we say, whoa, there's a whole lot more responsibility that comes with that. I didn't realize that. It's like when your kid asks for a puppy, right? How much trouble can it be? I will bathe it, and I will feed it, and I will pet it, and I will groom it, and I will love it. I'll take care of it. Yeah, you know who takes care of it. Once the puppy wears off, the puppiness wears off, you know, it's you, Mom, dad, somebody else taking care of that puppy, right? This is the same thing. We ask God, God, give me, give me, give me, give me. And God says, okay. And then we realize there's a lot more that comes with it. We need the strength of Christ. Even in times of plenty, even in good times, even when things are going well, we need the strength that is found in Christ to sustain us. Because we can be crushed by these things. You you ever, you ever consider this, that sometimes God answers no to our prayers? Because he knows that our character can't bear up under a yes. There there are times that that God may have us wait a little while longer to answer a prayer because he knows that if he gives us exactly what it is that we're asking for right now, even though it's a good thing, our character isn't able to bear it. We're not able to, we we don't depend upon the strength of Christ. We may start thinking, "Oh, oh, look at what I got. All right, it's all on me. I got this. I got this, God. I got it all. No, he's not going to do that. So we have to, in order to be content in all situations, we have to rely upon the strength of Christ. Listen to Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians, Ecclesiastes, chapter 6, verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. If you're not finding your satisfaction in Christ, then you're going to run to all sorts of other things. And, And And Solomon says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Better is what you have, and it's yours, and it's been given to you, than the wandering of the appetite starting to want all sorts of other stuff. I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that said, comparison is the thief of joy. Right? You you have something, and you think, this is great. And then you look over your shoulder, and you look over the fence at the neighbor, and you see what they have. And you go, well, mine's not so great anymore. Well, yeah, but the idea is... If we have Christ, we have godliness, we're to be content with that. Proverbs 14, 30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy makes the bones rot because we run after things for contentment that are passing, that are ephemeral, that leave. And if we place our hope for contentment in something that is going to pass away, when that thing passes away, then so too does our commitment or, or our contentment. It leaves as well. We are, we are eternal beings. We are eternal beings. Let me say that again. We are eternal beings. Everybody that you've ever met is going to live forever one day somewhere. Either in heaven with God through Christ or in eternity separated from God in hell. We're all eternal beings. Why would we think that anything less than eternity would satisfy us? We are made for eternity, yet we run to all sorts of other things. 
We are hardwired to find our satisfaction in God and sin has short-circuited us so that we run to everything else to try to find satisfaction other than God. We will only find contentment in Christ because we are designed for eternity, because we are eternal beings. That's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. Read through it sometime. And Solomon's saying, I'm going to see if I can be content with anything else and everything else the world has to offer. And the answer is, nope. The only one who can satisfy is God and God alone. This is why in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews pens these words. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The thrust of that passage is this. Be content with the presence of God himself. You have God himself. God himself. He will satisfy you. Don't run after any worldly riches. Don't run after anything. Are we saying those, they're bad to have? No. But they don't bring lasting contentment. They never can. Possessions, titles, status, none of that can bring contentment. There's always more. But with God, we can never get enough of God. <laughs> you realize that? He's eternal. We will never get enough of God. And the only one who can satisfy us forever is one that we can never get enough of. And that if our eyes and our hearts and our lives are aligned with him, then God just keeps giving us more and more and more and more and more of himself. God is enough. Hey, let me ask this. What would change in your life if you lived like God was enough? And I, don't mean, I don't mean theoretically. I mean, really. If you lived your life tomorrow like God himself is enough, because he says he is, if you lived your life like God is completely and totally enough for you, what would change? That's not an answer I can give you. It's between you and God. But if you lived your life like God was fully sufficient and God was enough, what would be different as you were relying upon the strength found in Christ? The final thing Paul mentions, this is a strength found in Christ. It is learned through consistent practice over time. He learns it. Look back in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This strength found in Christ is learned through consistent practice over time. Paul just didn't get it. Paul didn't say, you know, when I became a follower of Christ, in that moment, I had, had it all figured out. I, I, mean, I, I knew exactly in that moment, I'm completely and totally content. Didn't want anything else. Never wrestled with anything. It was all great. That's not what he says. He says, I've learned. I've learned it and now I know it. Notice he says that I learned the secret. There's an implication there that some people don't find the secret. They don't know the secret. Paul says, I know the secret. I've got the secret. The secret is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my secret. That's what I've learned over time. It's a process. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So Paul understands, he writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, our sufficiency, what we depend upon, comes from God alone. Which enables him to write a little later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is when Paul is writing about his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. It was some sort of struggle that he had. Some people have said maybe it was a physical ailment. Maybe. Some people have said that it was somebody there, uh, some follower of Christ or some pseudo follower of Christ maybe, that was causing issues for him. Maybe as well. Could have been. We don't know exactly what it was that sort of open-ended as to exactly the specific nature of his struggle, but whatever it was, it was weighing on him and he was asking God to remove it. And so he asked, the Bible tells us, three times that God would take this thing away. But notice what we find in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient. No, Paul, I'm not going to take that away. You're just going to have to deal with it. Or it's a physical ailment or a relational uh, situation or whatever. He says, you're just going to deal with it. You're just going to have to struggle through that and learn through it to be one who leans upon me. Learn that I am completely and totally sufficient. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul three times begs God, God, take this from me. And God says, no, no. What's God doing? God is teaching Paul what it means to be completely and totally dependent upon the strength that is at his disposal that comes through Christ to him, but he's having to learn this. So many times we fall into situations and we can't get out of them immediately. And our first response is, God, I got to figure a way to get out of this. Well, in the figuring how to get out of it, We also need to make sure we ask God, God, make sure I don't miss what you're trying to teach me through it. Because there is is a lesson in there, Lord, that you're trying to teach me about me. You're trying to teach me about myself. You're trying to teach me about my attitude. You're trying to teach me something about your power, about your holiness, about your goodness, about your mercy, about your grace. God, I don't want to miss the lesson because I don't want to have to repeat this if I don't have to. So, Lord, what's the lesson that you're trying to teach me? And this power that comes from Christ is learned through consistent practice. We have to consistently realign our hearts and our minds with a life that says, God, I'm going to depend upon you and not myself. This is why, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
Paul says, I'm going through some really difficult times. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but that's okay. I have hope. And, and, and I've been struck down and I've been in distress and I'm in pain and I'm in anguish, but I'm not quite dead yet. And in all these things that I'm facing, it's so that the power of God might be seen and I might be seen clearly to just be a clay vessel into which a treasure has been placed. And the power comes from that one Jesus who is within me. And, and many times back in Paul's day, people would hide their valuables in clay pots and clay vessels and they would, they would store them away. They would bury them sometimes. No one would dig up one of those clay pots and, and thieves or somebody would might dig it up out of your yard, out of your backyard, dig up that clay pot and they start divvying up your savings. And one of them says, yeah, 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 but I just want the pot. Yeah, no, no. All right, guys, let's half it. You know, we'll go halvesies on this. You, you take all the jewels and you take all the gold. And I just want the pot. No, because it's, it's, it's replaceable and it's fragile. I mean, it's, it's dispensable. And Paul says, by, by this power that is seen through Christ in me, the world sees all the more clearly what you're enduring, what you're going through, the, the difficulty, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the way you're handling all of this. It shows that there's something going on in you that is just beyond clay pot type stuff. And the same is true for us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, but we have to understand we're just clay pots. And he is the power that enables us to sustain through those difficult circumstances. He is the power who enables us to endure. He is the one who enables us to work for God. He is the one who enables us to go and move in the right direction for him to accomplish that king-sized mission that comes with king-sized responsibilities that's only accomplished by that king-sized power. And so whenever we see this idea, this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not just about just like winning the state championship. It's not about being success in business. It's not about running faster or pedaling harder or climbing higher. That's not what it's about. No, it's about something a whole lot better. It's about God himself showing his power through you, through the power that is found in Christ when you are in relationship with him and your identity, who you are is not wrapped up in the junk you're going through, but it's wrapped up in the person that you are being transformed into. And that is you're being made over into the likeness of Christ himself. That is the power of Christ working within us. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you recognizing that for those of us who follow you, there is a treasure in these clay pots. There's a treasure in these earthen vessels. And that treasure is Christ. We are fragile. We are replaceable. We are, we are common. But Father, there's a treasure in us. And that treasure is, is irreplaceable. That treasure is incomparable. That treasure is incredible. And that treasure is Jesus himself. And Lord God, there may be people here this morning, there may be people listening, watching, 
And they may say, I, I, don't, I don't have that treasure in me. I've never surrendered my heart, my life to Christ. I'm doing it by my own power. I'm doing it by my own strength. I'm living by my own set of rules. I'm, I'm wanting to accomplish my own goals and my own dreams and my own aspirations. Father, I pray today would be the day that they would say, no, no more. I want to follow Christ. I want to surrender to a life with Christ. Father, I pray today they would say yes to you. Recognizing that there's nothing that we can do here. There's nothing that we can do to meet that discontentment that each of us has because each of us is hardwired for you, God. And we run to all sorts of other things in order to meet that discontentment and we end up becoming even more discontented. There's always another dollar to be had, another title to gain, another level on the social ladder to climb but not so with you God we're eternal beings and if we know Christ then we are new creations in Christ Father I pray that today would be the day that some would say yes to Christ recognizing that not only can we not find contentment here we can't deal with our personal sin ourselves No more than we can find contentment ourselves. And because of our inability to do that and our separation from you because of our sin, God, we give you thanks that you sent Jesus to live a sinless life, but yet die a sinner's death, our death on the cross. So that if we trust that sacrifice, that we might live, we might be restored. We might know you. So, Father, I pray today would be the day that some would say yes to you. Father, I pray today would be the day that many would answer that question in their hearts before you. How their life would be different if they lived like you were enough. Father, I pray that you would grant them the strength to do just that. That they would live like you are enough because you are. So, Father, thank you for the strength that is found in Christ. Thank you that it's not something as mundane as winning an event or being a success in the world's eyes but it's something far greater it's being able to know you and walk by the very power of Christ to accomplish your will in a world that desperately needs to see that treasure in clay pots and we give you the thanks and the praise and the glory for all of it and it's in Jesus name we ask these things amen